read a story about a granny the other day that I wanted to share with you. But don't worry, it's not about the dancing granny, uh, the one I showed on a video last year and got in a whole lot of trouble for uh, when I got home. You know, the one I, uh, I should have edited first. Uh, there were some things the dancing granny said at the end that were not too uh, church-like. So uh, I don't have that one, but this is a, a different granny. This was in an article in uh, Christian Reader by uh, G. Shank. And uh, she says, On a hot summer day, I was sitting near an open window, sewing and keeping an eye on my three grandsons who were playing outside. Let's play cops and robbers, said Mike. I'll be a robber. Terry and Melvin wanted the same role, so they needed another person to play. What about Grandma, Terry suggested. Nah, Mike replied. She can't run fast enough. Well, what can we do to make her mad, asked Melvin. Old people can run real fast when they get mad. Is that true? Sure. <laughs> it's amazing how age makes no difference when somebody gets a bee in their bonnet, right? When someone gets really upset, doesn't matter what age they are, they can find some energy. Our text today describes Moses to be 120 years old. And the passage that you heard from Exodus is one of the absolute high points for Moses. And we looked at another one of those high points this past uh, Sunday where Moses went into the cleft of the rock and so wanted to see God. But I want to read to you about the last days of Moses, the, the death of Moses. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb, and the plain. That is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. And then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses had performed in the sight of all Israel." It's a great account 
of the final days of a tremendous person. Someone who lived life in the full for God. And so as we hear this description of him being 120 years old, living in his latter years with very much a bee in his bonnet. In fact, he climbs a mountain of all things when he's 120. I would find it difficult to climb a mountain today. And I'm feeling old because my son is 16 years old. And uh, it's even made me grow a beard um, again. But as the author describes Moses, he was 120 when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. It's a good thing his sight was still good because God wanted to show him this land, this promised land that he had been hearing about all this time. In fact, hearing about it yet not being able to enter into it. His vigor had not abated. Now that's a great line for your obituary, right? For someone to say that your vigor had not abated, Moses, he didn't believe in retirement. You just can't think of Moses sitting around in his coveralls, uh, watching the grass grow or the paint chip or whatever uh, Sometimes uh, people sometimes do in their latter years. No, he is up in his years, but he doesn't hang up his staff, and he doesn't turn in his credentials as a, a tour guide to the Holy Land. He is still active and he is still doing the things that God wants him to do. He worked until he dropped, literally. When God said it was time for him to go, but not a moment earlier. We could say he finished well. And he finished by seeing God's face. As we heard in our scripture reading from last Sunday, Moses wanted to see God. He just longed to see this same God that he had heard about. The God who had saved him as a baby from the firstborn death squads of Pharaoh. The God who blessed him with a royal home. The God who didn't give up on him after killing another man. By the way, we talk about how wonderful Moses was, but you do have to remember that he murdered someone. And he had to flee for his life and to flee to another country. But this was the God who showed mercy to him in exile for 40 years. The God who spoke to him from a burning bush. The God who called him to lead the Hebrews out of slavery. The God who parted the waters of the Red Sea before his very eyes. And the God who had just given him the commandments atop Mount Sinai. Moses longed to see this God that he had encountered all of his life. And at the end of his life, Moses was noted for being someone God knew face to face. Moses sought God's face, and he saw it. He also finished with unequaled status. As noted here in Deuteronomy 34, never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt, against Pharaoh, against his servants, and the entire land. And if you have forgotten what all Moses did and all the things that uh, were a part of his calling, especially as he was going to lead the Hebrew people out of slavery, go back and read it. It, it is quite a story, quite 
a recounting of all the things that he was involved in. And it says, in all the mighty deeds, all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. The author is certainly not saying that Moses was perfect. We know that Moses was very imperfect. He had a checkered past, which gives us hope today, doesn't it? That we gather together this morning with a checkered past. And you may not know what the person sitting next to you has in their past, but we all have a past. And we all have a sinful past. We are all sinful. We've all fallen away from the the things and the way of God in the world. And yet God still wants to use us. God still loves us. God still interacts with us. He still wants to know us face to face. Moses was known for his remarkable skill and his resilience in carrying out God's assignments for him. I mean, he was their hall of famer, setting records that no one else could ever touch in their service to God. What a great way to finish. I stumbled upon a, a, a site this past week called Funny Obituaries. I know that, that's really dark for me to even be looking for such things. But it highlights some humdingers, ones collected and taken from actual newspapers. And most of them I could not read here today in worship. In fact, I had to edit this one a little bit. One of them is of the man that you see on the screen. It came out kind of blurry, but you get the idea. That's a picture that you want uh, everyone to remember you by, isn't it? I mean, if you picked out your picture for your obituary, again, that's kind of a dark thing, but some people do it. Well, what is your picture going to be? Well, apparently this guy picked out this picture. This is the one that he wanted everybody to remember him by. Kind of looks like Chuck Mangione. His name is William Freddie McCullough. He's from Bloomingdale, Illinois. It says, the man, and by the way, I I think that he wrote this, and the person who put up this website kind of thinks that these people probably had something to do with their own obituaries. But he says, the man, the myth, the legend. (laughs) Men wanted to be him, and women wanted to be with him. (laughs) William Freddie McCulloch died on September 11, 2013. Freddie loved deep-fried southern food smothered in cane syrup. Fishing at Santee Cooper Lake, Little Debbie Cakes, Two and a Half Men, Beautiful Women, Reese's Cups, and Jim Beam. Probably all on the same night. Not necessarily in that order. He hated vegetables and hypocrites, not necessarily in that order. He was a master craftsman who single-handedly built his beautiful house from the ground up, and wouldn't you like to see a picture of that house? Freddie was also uh, great at growing fruit trees, grilling chicken and ribs, popping wheelies on his Harley at 50 miles an hour, which may have been the way that he went out, (laughs) making everyone feel appreciated and hitting Coke bottles at 30 yards with his 45. When it came to floor covering, Freddie was one of the best in the business, and he loved doing it. Freddie loved to tell stories, and you could be sure that 50% of every story was true. You just never knew which 50%. Marshall Matt Dillon, Ben Cartwright, and Charlie Harper were his TV heroes. 
And he was the hero for his six children, Mark, Shane, Clint, Brandis, Ashley, and Thomas. Freddie adored the ladies, and they adored him. There isn't enough space here to list all of the women from Freddie's past. <laughs> there isn't enough space in the Bloomingdale phone book. A few of the more colorful ones were Mama Margie, Crazy Pam, Spacey Stacy, and Sweet Melissa. With parentheses, he explained that nickname had nothing to do with her attitude. He attracted more women than a shoe sale at Macy's. He got married when he was 18, but it didn't last. Freddie was no quitter, however, so he gave it a shot two more times. <laughs> wow. That's a great way to be remembered, isn't it? What about your obituary? What will be said of you? I've heard it said that if you look in the obituaries and you see the person's birth date and you see the person's death date, what really amounts to life is that dash in between. And that's what really says the most about your life. How did you spend your life? What will other people say about you? What would you say about yourself? Well, how about having the things said about Moses said about you? And how could that even happen? How could you ever be a Moses? Well, first, let it be said of you that you had vigor until the very end. Is there a bee in your bonnet when it comes to the mission of God in this world? Is your life characterized by a drive for being God's representative and God's ambassador in the world? Moses had a speech impediment. We don't know what it was or if he just made it up. But he told God, I can't go and speak for you because I, I can't even speak. I can't put my words together in a way that's going to scare Pharaoh. And yet God used him. He had a drive and a vigor. We ought to live with such tenacity for the kingdom of God in our world that someone would etch into our tombstone that she or he had a vigor for God that was relentless. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? We ought to live as though each day is our last, getting serious and busy about the things that matter most in this world. What a tremendous error we make with our lives when we, we live thinking that we can devote our energy to God later in life, when today is truly all that we have. And there's a Hebrew wisdom about all you have is the breath in your nostrils. I mean, that's it, right? And we go from breath to breath, and yet we think we have so many more. We become like the man Jesus told about in a parable, who decided to store up all of his crops in barns before he would ever use them. And Jesus made sure we understood that he was a fool. God has given you and me the potential and the power for a vigorous life. So let's make sure that we aren't storing our energy away to be used for some day later when we get around to it or wasted on things that really don't matter in life. May we enter this week invigorated for a life of serving God. 
And second, let it be said of you that you finished well by seeing God's face. You may be like Moses in that you've encountered and known God all of your life. But have you seen God's face? I'm pretty confident that churches all across America are full of people. They're not full, but they are full of people today who've probably grown up hearing about God and learning about God from Sunday school and vacation Bible school and personal devotion and study. But really, have they ever seen the face of God? There is a difference, isn't there, between knowing things about God and actually knowing God and seeing God's face? Moses reached a point in his life where he wanted more than just bumping into God along the pathways of life. He grew up from uh, a man upstairs view of God to a cleft of the rock view of God. You and I are to have the same kind of progress in our faith as well, aren't we? Going from recognition of God in life's circumstances or life's holidays to a longing for God in every moment of the day and into the night. You and I are to have restlessness about us until we are able to see the face of God. And the imagery that's given there in the Hebrew language is of a child crawling into the lap of a father, and the father is looking in a particular area, and the child turns the face of the father to where they can look each other eye to eye. It's a very intimate kind of thing where God wants us to understand that he is that kind of God, that kind of father who desires to see us and for us to see God. And yet we stumble with this. Do you long for God like that? Our gospel text today, Matthew 22, reminds us of how Jesus talked about that same kind of longing, one that seeks God's face. Jesus answered an inquire that the most important thing that he could ever do in life is to love God. To love God was to seek God. It was to direct one's heart, one's mind, and one's strength to adoring God. And this was to be a relationship of intimacy rather than legalism. The guy asking the question was concerned about a checklist and about the legal things that he could do. Jesus says it's not about that. It's about loving God. And in case they couldn't fathom how to do that practically, Jesus gave them a second command. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's how Jesus puts it together for us here today as well. Because you may have entered this place today from a sense of legalism. You may be here today. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. Legalism, it can work for us, right? (laughs) But really, we are to be here for no other reason than to adore God. And as we adore God, we recognize the benefit and the blessing of doing so together in a church family. If we seek God like that, there's no doubt we will see God's face. Finally, let it be said of you that your life for God is unequaled. 
If that just sounds ridiculous to you, that such words at your graveside service would make people wonder if they were at the right cemetery, don't worry. These words don't have to be manufactured, especially by a creative preacher who is trying to find something good to say about you. And I've had to do that a few times, by the way. You don't have to be perfect, just determined. Live in such a way that you break all of the notions about what living for God is to look like. As you take the assignments and calling that God gives to you at work, at school, at home, in your neighborhood, and in Highland, may people see God in and through you. May the people who are around you speak of how you stood up to the pharaohs of your day, of when you led others out of bondage to freedom and justice, of how you led people through deserts and through parted seas to a better place in life, and of how you radiated God's bright light in the midst of surrounding darkness. I like what Irma Bombeck had to say about finishing well. I like what she had to say about pretty much everything, but certainly about finishing well. She said, When I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say, I used everything you gave me. Wouldn't it be great if those were our words? When God calls us home, let us finish well.